0: Chapter Twenty Four of Grace Harlowe's Third Year at Toveton College by Jessie Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four: Conclusion. The last of June, in addition to its reputed wealth of roses, brought with it exceedingly hot weather. But to the members of the senior and junior classes, whose eyes were fixed upon commencement, the warm weather was a matter of minor importance. It was the first overdone commencement in which the three Oakdale girls had taken part, and greatly to their satisfaction, they had been detailed to usher at the commencement exercises. Arline, Ruth, Gertrude Wells, the Emersons, and Emma Dean had also acted as ushers, and on the evening of commencement day, the Emerson twins had given a porch party to the other slaves of the realm, as they had laughingly styled themselves. It had been a momentous week, and the morning after commencement day Grace awoke with the disturbing thought that her trunk remained still unpacked, and that she had two errands to do, and that she had promised to meet Arlene Thayer at Vinton's at half-past nine o'clock that morning. "'I'm glad it isn't eight o'clock yet,' she commented to Anne, as she stood before the mirror looking very trim and dainty in her tailored suit of dark blue. "'I'm going to put on my hat now, then I won't have to come upstairs again.' I'll do my errands first, then it will be time to meet Arlene, and I'll be here in time for luncheon. After that I must pack my trunk, and if I hurry I shall still have some time to spare. Our train doesn't leave until four o'clock. Would you telephone for the expressman, Anne?" Anne, who was busily engaged in trying to make room in the tray of her trunk for a burned wood-handkerchief box, which she had overlooked, looked up long enough to acquiesce. "'There!' she exclaimed as the box finally slipped into place. "'That is something accomplished!' Hereafter, I shall leave this box at home. Every time I pack my trunk, I'm sure to find it staring at me in the face from some corner of the room when I haven't a square inch of space left. I'll keep my handkerchiefs in the top drawer of the chiffonier next year. I wish I had no packing to do, sighed Grace. You never seem to mind it. That is because I'm a trooper, and troopers live in their trunks, smiled Anne. Packing and unpacking never dismay me. Isn't it fortunate, Anne, that our commencement happened a week before that of the boys? We can be at home for a day or two before we go to M-something to attend their commencement. I can't realize that our boys are men, and about to go out into the world, each one to his own work, said Anne. They will always seem just boys to us, won't they? Yes, the spirit of youth will remain with them as long as they live, prophesied Grace wisely, because they will always be interested in things, and if one lives every day, for all this is worth and goes on to the next day prepared to make the best of whatever it may bring forth one can never grow old in spirit look at mrs gray she will never be years old she will always be years young i am so anxious to see father and mother and mrs gray and the girls but i hate saying good-bye to overton every year it seems to grow dearer that is because it has been our second home was anne's soft rejoinder a knock at the door followed by a peremptory summons in elfreda's voice "'Come on down to breakfast,' ended the little talk. By half-past eight o'clock Grace was on her way toward Main Street, bent on disposing of her errands with all possible speed. The vision of her yawning trunk, flanked by piles of clothing, waiting patiently to be put in it, loomed large before her. Later on, keeping her appointment with Arlene, she heroically tore herself from that fascinating young woman's society and hurried toward Wayne Hall, filled with laudable intentions, Anne had finished her packing and departed to pay a farewell visit to Ruth Denton. "'Oh, dear,' sighed Grace, "'I hate to begin. I suppose I'd better put these heavy things in first. She reached for her heavy blue coat and sweater, slowly depositing them in the bottom of the trunk. Her raincoat followed the sweater, and she was in the act of folding her blue serge dress when a knock sounded on the door, and the maid proclaimed in a monotonous voice, "'Telegram, Miss Harlowe." The blue serge dress was thrown into the trunk, and Grace dashed from the room and down the stairs at the maid's heels. Her father and mother were Grace's first thought. What if something dreadful had happened to either of them? The bare idea of a telegram thrilled Grace with apprehension. Her fingers trembled as she signed the messenger's book and tore open the envelope. One glance at the telegram, and with an inarticulate cry grace darted up the stairs and down the hall to her room stopping only long enough to seize her hat she made for the stairs the telegram clutched tightly in her hands oh if anne or miriam were only here she breathed as she paused for an instant at mrs elwood's gate to look up and down the street then set off in the direction of the campus at the edge of the campus she paused again glancing anxiously about her in the vain hope of spying ruth or miriam Then she started across the campus toward Morton House, as she neared her destination. The front door of the hall opened, and a familiar figure appeared. It was followed by another figure, and with a little exclamation of satisfaction Grace redoubled her pace. "'Ruth! Arline," she cried, her face alight. "'Can't you guess? It has come at last. Here it is. Read it, Ruth!' Ruth had turned very pale, and was staring at Grace in mute, questioning fashion. "'You don't mean—' Her voice died away into a little gasp. "'I do, I do,' caroled Grace, tears of sheer happiness rising in her grey eyes. "'Read it, Ruth. Oh, I'm so glad, for your sake. Three more hours and you will see him. "'It seems like a fairy tale.' Ruth stood reading the telegram over and over. "'Arrive Overton, 2.40. Will you and Ruth meet me? Arthur N. Denton.' "'And to think,' said Arline in awe stricken tones, that ruth is actually going to see her father my very own father the tenderness in ruth's voice brought the tears to arline's blue eyes grace was making no effort to conceal the fact that her own were running over you mustn't cry girls faltered ruth it is the happiest day of my life then she buried her face in her hands and ran into the house grace and arline followed to find her huddled on the lowest step of the stairs her slender shoulders shaking i I can't help it she sobbed you would cry too if after being driven from pillar to post ever since you were little you suddenly found there was someone in the world who loved you and wanted to take care of you of course you can't help crying soothed grace stroking the bowed head arline and i cried too this is one of the great moments of your life dear little chum said arline softly sitting down beside ruth and putting her arms around the weeping girl your wish has been granted an eloquent silence fell upon the trio for a moment, which was broken by the sound of voices in the upstairs hall. Ruth and Arline rose simultaneously from the stairs. "'Come up to my room,' urged Arlene, and we will finish our cry in private." "'I have no more tears to shed,' smiled Grace, and I dare not go to your room." "'Dare not?' inquired Arline. "'I haven't finished my packing, and our train leaves at 4 "'Oh!' Grace sprang to her feet in sudden alarm. I asked Anne to telephone the expressman perhaps he has called for my trunk and gone by this time if he has, I shall have to reopen negotiations with the express company at once in order that it shall reach the station in time. Will you meet me at the station at a quarter past two o'clock or can you stop for me at the hall? I'll be at the hall at two o'clock promised ruth. Filled with commendable determination to finish her packing as speedily as possible, grace hurried home and up the stairs, unpinning her hat as she ran. Dashing into her room she dropped her hat on her couch, then stared about her in amazement. The piles of clothing she had left had disappeared, and yes, her trunk had also vanished. Where she began when the door opened and three figures precipitated themselves upon her. Don't say we never do anything for you, cried Elfreda. We didn't overlook a single thing, assured Anne. It isn't everyone who can secure the services of professional trunk packers. "'Will you, won't you, will you, won't you, come and join the dance?' cowered Elfreda off the key as she did a true mock turtle shuffle around Grace. Joining hands, the three girls hemmed Grace in and pranced about her. "'What is going on in here?' demanded Emma Dean, appearing in the doorway. "'Is the mere idea of being seniors going to your heads?' "'I ought to be the one to dance, Emma,' laughed Grace. I went out of here with my room in chaos and my trunk unpacked, and came back to find it not only packaged, but gone. Thank you, girls," she nodded affectionately to her chums. "'No one exhibited any such tender thoughtfulness for me,' commented Emma. "'I had to wrestle with my packing, unaided and alone. And how things do pile up. I could hardly find a place for all my stuff.' "'Oh, I almost forgot my great news,' cried Grace. Then she produced the telegram, and a buzz of excited conversation began, which lasted until the luncheon bell rang. Ruth was punctual to the moment, and after receiving the affectionate congratulations of the girls, she and Grace started for the station on the To Ruth most eventful errand of her young life. "'How shall I know him, Grace, and how will he know me?' she said tremulously. "'I don't know,' returned Grace, rather blankly. That part of it hadn't occurred to me. Still, Overton is only a small city and there won't be many incoming passengers. It's a case of outgoing passengers this week. I have an idea that we shall know him," she concluded. When, at exactly two-forty, the train poured into the station, two pairs of eyes were fixed anxiously on the few travellers that left the train. Suddenly Grace's hand caught Ruth's arm. "'There he is! Oh, Ruth, isn't he splendid! Come on, don't be afraid. I feel certain he is Arthur Northrup Denton.' seizing ruth's hand she led her unresisting to meet a tall broad-shouldered smooth-faced man whose piercing gray eyes constantly scanned the various persons scattered along the platform his brown hair was touched with gray at the temples and his keen resolute face bespoke unfaltering purpose and power with grace to think was to act she took an impulsive step toward the tall stranger confronting him with i'm grace harlowe i am sure you are mr denton yes i'm arthur denton and- This is your daughter, declared Grace hurriedly, pushing Ruth gently forward. An instant later the few persons lingering on the station platform saw the tall stranger fold the slender figure of Ruth in a long embrace. I was sure you were Ruth's father, declared Grace, as a little later they were speeding through the streets of Overton in the taxi-cab Mr. Denton had engaged at the station. The moment I saw you I felt that you could be no one else. Ruth sat with her hand in her father's, an expression of ineffable tenderness on her small face. She was content to listen to him and Grace without joining in the conversation. Her greatest wish had been fulfilled, and she was experiencing a joy too deep for words. Mr. Denton explained to them that his long silence had been due to a series of misadventures that had befallen him on his way from Alaska to San Francisco. He had received only one letter from Grace, and none from Ruth, as he had left Norm directly after receiving Grace's letter. The others had evidently reached Norm after his departure, and had not been forwarded to him. The boat on which he had taken passage had been wrecked, and he had barely escaped drowning. He had been rescued by an Indian fisherman from the icy waters of Bering Sea, and taken to his hut, where for days he had lain ill from exposure to the elements. At the earliest possible moment he had embarked for San Francisco, then journeyed east. He had purposely refrained from telegraphing until within a day's journey from Overton, fearing that something might occur to delay his meeting with his daughter. Ruth, who had already planned to remain in Overton during the summer and work at dressmaking, smiled in rapture as she heard her father plan a long sightseeing trip through the west which would last until time for her to return to college in the fall they drove with grace to wayne hall promising to return to the station in time to meet her friends and say good-bye to her mr denton assuring her that he hoped some day to repay the debt of gratitude which he owed her three familiar figures ran downstairs to meet grace as she stepped into the hall we've been waiting patiently for you announced elfreda did he materialize from anne what do you think of him was miriam's quick question come into the living room and i'll tell you said grace We won't have much time to talk, though. It is after three o'clock now. No, come upstairs to our room, invited Elfreda. We have a special reason for asking you. Grace obediently accompanied the three girls upstairs. The first thing that attracted her eye was a tray containing a tall pitcher of fruit lemonade and four glasses. Elfreda stepped to the table and began pouring the lemonade. When she had filled the glasses, she handed them in turn to each girl. To our senior year! she said solemnly raising her glass may it be the best of all drink her down what a nice idea smiled grace as she set down her glass it was Elfreda's proposal said miriam she made the lemonade too then let us drink to her grace reached for her glass and miriam for the pitcher i'll do the honors this time declared miriam here's to the honorable josephine Elfreda briggs expert brewer of lemonade model roommate and loyal friend Oh, now, protested Elfreda, what made you spoil everything? I was just beginning to enjoy myself. The pleasure is all ours, retorted Anne. Besides, you are getting nothing but your just desserts. We are only glad to have a chance to demonstrate our deep appreciation of your many lovely qualities, Miss Briggs, she ended mischievously. Yes, Miss Briggs, laughed Grace. You are indispensable to this happy band, Miss Briggs. You must be blind if you can't see that. Very blind indeed, Miss Briggs agreed miriam nesbit but because you are so blind miss briggs i shall endeavour in a few well-chosen words miss briggs to make you see what is so plain to the rest of us whereupon miriam launched forth into a funny little eulogy of elfreda and her good works, which caused the stout girl to exclaim in embarrassment oh see here miriam i am not half so wonderful as i might be if you said all those nice things about yourself or grace or anne it would be more to the point but it might not be true interposed grace and we quite agree with miriam added anne elfreda surveyed them in silence an unusually tender expression in her shrewd blue eyes i can see that i have a whole lot to be thankful for she said after a moment next year i am going to try harder than ever to live up to your flattering opinion of me then i know that i can't fail to be a good senior just how completely Elfreda carried out her resolution and what happened to Grace Harlowe and her friends during their senior year in college will be found in Grace Harlow's fourth year at Overton College The End End of Chapter twenty four End of Grace Harlow's third year at Overton College by Jessie Graham Flower Recording by Ashley Jane